move to the E's today, and the word is economy. I have really wanted this year to be a time of practical help for the church, talking to you about things that are so vital to life and happiness, productivity, faithfulness, how to survive a sinking economy. Before we start, it's so important to get grounded in the Word. That was made real to me this last week when uh, one of my grandsons, I won't tell you which one, goes to school here. Wanda Henson is his teacher. She told the story to the class one day about Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, the couple who lied to God. And sometime after that, she said to the class, now, what were the names of that couple that lied to God? Nobody responded, so she said, called my grandson by name, said, can you tell us? And he, oh, he said, oh, yeah, I think it was Sodom and Gomorrah. So he and I had a little session when I learned this. I said, now, this is how you remember. S think of something really funny. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. So call them Ananias and Sapphira. And you know he's not forgotten since. Ananias and Sapphira. No longer will it be Sodom and Gomorrah. Anyway, we're trying to get grounded in the Bible, right? And a lot of things you read in the bulletin that you can plug into will help you do just that. I hope you will. It is the parable of the talents. There are a lot of verses here, but it won't take long for us to really give you, I think, what's the meat of this passage. Remember that the traveler in the story is the Lord, the master. There are three servants, one who gets five talents, one who gets two, and one who gets one. Now, talents in that day was money. We think of talents as gifts to sing or play, but it was money. Talents refers to money in the Bible. So they were given money. One more than the second, and the second more than the third. Different amounts, according to their ability. And he said, I'm going to go away. When I come back, I'll have an accounting. Well, that's easy to understand for us, isn't it? Our Lord went away. He left us certain things to use, and he's going to come back and demand an accounting. It's very simple to understand. Two of them did real well. One of them did terribly, and the last verse we read says, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sad ending to this man's handling of what the master put in his hands. Now, I am not a financial wizard or a financial expert. That's not the form in which I come here to address you today. I believe God has given me a lot of common sense. I had a good arithmetic teacher, and she taught me how to add and multiply and subtract, and I rarely even use one of those little computers because I learned it so well I can do it in my head just about as quick as you could 
put it into one of those little things. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm very accurate. And I'm grateful for that. So that is really my credentials. And that God has helped me personally to be financially sound. And God has helped me in leadership of a large corporation called the church to keep the church financially sound and strong. And I thank God for that. You're not in a sinking ship. You can say, praise the Lord. So those are my credentials. I observe people. I talk to people. I read. I know this. We've had quite a year in this country. We have had the failure of the junk bond market. We have had the closure of more savings and loan institutions. We have lingering recession, which the experts say following the election and into 93, it is possible that we would be right on the verge of a depression. Now, time will tell. Those are the kind of times we live in. Failure of several banks. Insurance companies. You can pick it up after church. The banks, clear down here at the altar. Thank God for banks at the altar. They roll, don't they? Real nice. Where was I? Banks are closing. Banks are closing. Insurance companies have had to shut their doors in some cases. Staggering national debt. What did I read the other day? 25 trillion? I don't even know what that looks like. Just put 25 in a whole page of zeros. And it's growing, and we had better learn how to pull it down. It's going to take discipline. But that's the situation we're in. On top of that, our state is not wise, and they're sending more business out than they will bring in. It takes over a year, in some cases, to get a building permit in this county, which is ridiculous. I talked to a friend from Texas the other day who built a 3,500-square-foot house in Texas, and he didn't need one permit at all. They just said, go and build it. Boy, wouldn't that be nice. And the reason it takes so long is that everybody wants to protect their job. So they get the paper on their desk and they keep it as long as they can so it looks like they're busy. And then they take it over to another desk and they keep it as long as they dare because they want to look busy. Now that is true. Now with all of that darkness, and it sounds bad, I, I want to say something that just may be great surprise to you. We are not to be dismayed. You don't have to go out of here talking gloom and doom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, just a few pages before the parable of the talents, do not worry. 
Boy, I love those words. And if he said, don't worry, I believe he's able to give us the ability not to worry. Do not worry about your life, he said, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes on to talk about why we shouldn't worry. He cares for the sparrows and the lilies. God will not leave us alone. Now, what God is trying to get us to understand from the Bible is that our perspective has to be eternal. It cannot be momentary. It cannot be based on time. Our perspective is eternal. We have been taught by God in the Bible to hold our possessions lightly in this world. They are not to control us. God is in complete control. That's what the Bible teaches us. Therefore, we are not to be dismayed. Under any political or economic situation, God is able to care for his own. Pray this way, he said. Give us this day our daily bread. Be not dismayed. Now, that's my introduction. Two things I want to speak about. One, put God first. Put God first. Notice verse 14, the first verse we read. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Whose goods? The master's goods. Didn't belong to the servant. God owns it all. We don't own anything. We are stewards or users of what God has provided us. He delivered his goods. Our big mistake when we talk to one another is to ask this kind of question. What is your source? Rather than who is your source? Now, you see, the news yesterday said that Campbell's is thinking of leaving our area for Oregon. Campbell's is not your source. The government is not your source. Aerojet may shut down. Mather is shutting down. Those are not our source. He gave them his goods, God owns it all, and if you put him first, you will always find him to be your source. It's not a company. It's not a corporation. It's not a person other than God who is your source. So let me give you a couple of my favorite Bible verses that have helped me through the years. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I learned from that his storehouse is never empty. His resources are never exhausted. My God will supply all your need. I didn't have a father to do it. He passed away early in my life. I had no rich uncle to do it. I had to have God do it. And I learned that lesson. 
And then my other favorite verse is James 4, 2. When you find out who your father is, it's worth coming to him. Because James said, you have not because you ask not. Oh, I'm supposed to ask. Yes. You have not because you ask not. The God who has all riches, the God who owns everything, says you don't have because you don't ask. I can understand that. That's a lot easier to understand than a lot of economic books I have looked at. Ask. God says, talk to me about it. I own it all, so when you ask, I have the ability to give it to you when it's going to be good for you. And he will. Now, after he owns it all, we need to realize that we can limit God, who is limitless. That sounds like a contradiction, but it is not. It's based on Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You see, that's the basis of the statement, we can limit God. Good seed will produce good fruit. Bad seed will produce bad fruit. No seed will produce no fruit. Did you notice the word seed in verse 24? Gathering where you have not scattered seed. Verse 26, I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. But the servants were to scatter the seed. They were to use the seed well. Now let me give you some of my pastoral observations on bad seed. There could be a long list, but I've had to kind of narrow it down to about eight. My observations about bad seed, things that happen within the church and within the family of God to say nothing of all the people out there who don't have any guidance from God. First of all, I notice we limit God by spending more than we make. Isn't that profound? When I talk to you about debt, I mention that. You cannot spend more than you make and survive. It's so easy to draw a line down the middle of a piece of paper and on one side put income and the other side put out go. And if the one on the left isn't a little bit bigger than the one on the right, you're in desperate trouble. You cannot spend more than you make, but Many Americans and many Christians are doing that, and it's bad seed. Secondly, borrowing on the credit card. I don't want to get into that heavily. I touched on that, told you what to do with the cards a few weeks ago. But there are people who are listening to me today, and I love you. Bless your heart. You are paying 18 20% on your stupid credit cards. That is not a bargain. And you argue with God about 
That's a bargain. Tell me where our minds are. Borrowing on the credit card is never wise. If you have one, pay it off every 30 days before any interest is seen on the ledger sheet. Got it? Bad seed if you don't listen to the preacher. Thirdly, oh, I just hate this. I don't even like to talk about it. But there are people who write checks before they have the money. I cannot comprehend that. We get some in the offerings. That's bad seed. ISF, insufficient funds. Don't write checks before you have the money. That's dishonest. If you don't have it in your hand, you may not ever get it. So don't give somebody else a piece of paper making them think you've already got it. That's dishonesty. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Oh, and here's the fourth one. Mm. Not shopping for the best price. People just go out, and i got to get it, i got to go get it. Bad seed. Shop for the best price. Why give somebody else what you don't have to give them? Out of your pocket. There are bargains everywhere these days. With an economy like this, you don't even have to wait till after Christmas. There are great bargains now all the time. I will not pay $35 for a tie. There isn't $35 worth of material in any tie I've ever seen. You can go to Marshall's and get the same tie for $7.95. Their stock will go up. Fifth, buying things we don't need. Why do we do that? Impulsive buying. Don't shop at the grocery store when you're hungry. Eat before you go in there and go with a list. Otherwise, you're going to come out with a heaping basket and you won't have enough at the end of the month. Good wisdom in that. Don't buy what you don't need. I am... Working with my companion on that. Bless her heart. I say, honey, let's ask this question. Do we really need this? It's amazing how that cuts out purchases. Honestly, do we really need it? And often the answer, if you're honest, is no. 
I'm talking about how to survive in a sinking economy. Six, thinking someone is going to give us something for nothing. I'm talking to people like that. They just think everybody ought to be handing out to them. Hey, that isn't the way the book puts it together. Stop thinking you're going to get something for nothing. Absolutely not. God's economy says you earn it. Nobody's going to stand there and hand it out to you. You work for it. Seventh, borrowing money to buy everyday essentials. Oh, that's a no-no. That's bad seed. Everyday essentials, using somebody else's money to buy those things. Don't do that. You will sink right with the economy. Honestly, there are people who borrow to buy everyday essentials like food, gas, and so on. That should never, ever be done. And last, bad seed when we say, I can't give. Oh, I talk with people, I can't give. That is not true. I don't want to call you a liar, but that is not true. You can give, you've just decided you won't give. You see, we're supposed to give first. Now here's a great Bible lesson for you from 1 Kings chapter 17. The widow at Zarephath. It has to do with Elijah and this widow. Elijah rose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And verse 12 said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now that doesn't make sense if you're dying. It only makes sense if you understand a biblical principle about giving. Give first. She went and did as the prophet of God said. She made a cake for him. And to make a long story short, the Bible tells us that that jar never was without oil until rain came. That barrel was never without flour until the rain came according to the word of the Lord. And it is estimated that that was about a three-year period. She gave first. And God smiled and said, all right, now I can bless you. If you had not given, you would have died. You would have had just one more meal, and that's it. But she ate on the blessing of one cake for three years. That's the God I know. That's the God I've met. That's the God I've understood. 
I needed a car for my wife some time ago. I looked in the papers. I wanted to get the best deal I could. Lord, lead me. I saw an ad. Gave the year, make 600 miles, it said. 600 miles? Who in the world would sell a car with 600 miles? So I called, and he said, yeah, it's right. This fellow bought this car. He put $1,000 extra on the front end and the most expensive tires that you can buy for this car. And he didn't know that our car was coming out and our dealership was just opening and he drove by and saw our car and he didn't want this car. He wanted this one. He left it with us to sell. So I said, it's authentic. He said, it's brand new with all these extras. I said, hold it. I'll be there. It was $10,000 off the sticker price and I drew him down another five hundred. What am I saying? God is interested in you. Give first. And he will direct you to some bargains that you have just never believed possible. Verse 21 in Matthew 25 puts this in form for us. When it says you were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. See, if you're faithful over whatever it is God gives you, God says, I'll give you more. I'll make you ruler over many things. You've got to be faithful with a little, and then I'll give you the much. That's his way. The amount is not important. How we handle what we have is the vital issue. God never condemns wealth, nor does he commend poverty. He owns it all. Whether little or much, our attitude remains the same. God gave it. I'll use it. It's up to him as to the percentages. Did you hear what I said? God never condemned wealth in the Bible, nor did he commend poverty. He just wants you to be F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L, faithful. And he will add to. The summation of my testimony is Proverbs 3.6. One of my favorite verses. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. That is the Bible. I believe the Bible. In whatever you do, put God first, and he will crown your efforts with success. The story is told of a young Irishman who was shipwrecked off the coast of Scotland and escaped by clinging to a rock all night in the ocean. Some men from the shore spied him on the rock the next morning and put out a boat to rescue him. After they had him in the boat safe and put dry clothes on him, they said to him, didn't you shiver and shake out there in the cold all night? He answered, ah, yes, I did shiver and shake, but the rock never moved. In a sinking economy, there may be some shivering and some shaking, but I'm here to tell you Proverbs 3, 6 is true. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. The rock never moves. It never shifts. Now, the second main point is this. Watch the trends. Watch the trends. We've got to be careful of the trends. What are the trends? There are seven of them, in my opinion. Number one is overdue bills. People are spreading out the time in which they're paying their bills, and that's a terrible state to get into. 
Proverbs 27, 12 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. In other words, he sees what's coming and he prepares for it and he makes sure that his bills are not overdue. That is not right. That's the trend I see, however. More and more space in between payment. Overdue bills. Not the way to survive. No plan for finances. Borrowing beyond the ability to repay. All of that is included in overdue bills. Number two, there is growing among us a get-rich attitude. Get rich quick. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessing, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. You can pick up any paper and you can read the ads. I see it even in USA Today. You can call such and such a number and get into this great new thing. And there are three things that usually help you get in. Number one, assume excessive debt. Number two, borrow the money to invest. And number three, deal deceitfully with people. And none of them are good. And the third one is the growing trend. Deal deceitfully with people. I've seen people's lives ruined by dealing deceitfully with others, with get-rich-quick schemes. It never is God's will. The Bible says again, a faithful man will abound with blessing, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Remember the trend. It will not work. Fight it with everything you've got. God wants you to work with the sweat of your brow. He never intended that anybody get it on a silver platter. It's never good for anybody. Stop trying to find the pot at the end of the rainbow. It will develop just below your chest rather than at the end of the rainbow. Get out and work. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Number three, the trend is no gainful employment, welfare, and all of the other things. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. There is a growing trend even in the church to take it from some other source. We cannot survive in a sinking economy that way. If you're healthy and you can work, you get a job. You pound the pavement until you, pavement until you get a job. We'll pray you through to a job. God's will that you work. No gainful employment is a curse. There is rare exception. And God wants us to hear him from his word. If you will not work, then you shouldn't eat. Greediness is number four. Oh. Ephesians 5, 5 says that a covetous man does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. You ought to think about that. Greediness says, I will not be a part of God's kingdom. I don't think you mean that. Greedy businessmen, greedy businesswomen, they want more and more and more. Young people fall into this. I can't believe some of the, what do they call them, um, the money you give to kids. Allowances. Can't believe the amount of allowances that parents allow. My stars are living. 
before they ever get to be 16, they're expecting that pot at the end of the rainbow. Greediness. They want more. They want a little bit more. I see them around all, hey, Dad, I need another five, and Dad gives it to them. You'd be wise sometime to say, hey, not today, buddy. You've had enough. Get by with one hamburger or whatever. You see, it starts so early. We always want more than what we have. And before long, we're in trouble. Some of the bankruptcies that I've had to deal with of members in my church is that they don't stay where they ought to be. The level of their employment, they always want to get another truck. They always want another employee. And I say, hold it! And if they don't hold it, they're dead. Greediness, watch it. It's a devilish, devilish trend today. Number five, overcommitment to work. Oh, 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 we can get real plain vanilla here. Overcommitment to work. Work in 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and you have no family time, you have no diversion. You can't even use the Lord's Day rightly because you got to work. God said six days you work, seven days you rest. There are too many of you overcommitted to your work and you need to back off. If I didn't have some diversions to give me sanity, I'd crumble. There are times I've got to walk away from it. What is the word that I want to see in the church? Balance. That's the word, balance. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, but do it in balance. Be a family man with all your might. Be an employer or an employee with all your might. Be a Christian with all your might. Put it all in balance. Jesus came into your life to make your life even, not crooked and out of balance. He wants you to have a good rounded existence. Six, self-indulgence, a lifestyle Characterized by lavishness, consistently going for the newer models. Out of control spending habits. That's a trend. And the worse the economy gets, the worse the trend gets, because it sort of brings some sort of satisfaction if we get the newer refrigerator or the newer car. We just sort of, for 24 hours, maybe 48, have a sense of, oh boy, this is ethereal, this is great. But then you suddenly realize what you've done. You've overindulged. Watch it. Do you know what one of the fruits of the Spirit is in Galatians 5? Self-control. Self-control. Watch that trend. In this sinking economy, overindulgence will be devastating to you. Learn to get along with what you have. I like what Paul said, in whatever state I am therein, I will be content. California, Ohio, wherever, you know, whatever state you're in, you be content there. Stop thinking you've got to have something else all the time. And our kids need to learn that. One more popsicle. No, you've already had one. Ah! All right. That's overindulgence. Now, number seven is the last one. Aren't you glad? I've dumped a lot on you. It's resentment. 
Say, where does that fit? Let me tell you where it fits. There are people I deal with who think God has not given them a fair shake and they're resentful of God. That is dynamite. God has given you a fair shake. He points out in John 6, 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Our Lord tells us that there are some things more important than the suit you wear, the dress you wear, the car you drive, and that is the food which endures to eternal life. That's what God's really interested in, and he will provide enough for you to make sure the other is well supplied. You've got to trust in him and rest in him and be thankful to him for everything he puts in your hands, be it little or much. God is fair. Don't get resentful. It will destroy your life in a very short time. Now I've got to close, so let me point out verse 25. I was afraid, and I went and hid it in the ground. Fear will paralyze you. Fear will keep you from faith. Faith will free you. Fear will tie you in knots. This third servant did not produce because he was afraid. Church, you cannot face 93 with fear in a sinking economy. God's people will shine as the morning stars shine if they remember the preacher and the word of God that is true. You don't need to be afraid. I wish I had time to expound on Psalm 145. It ends with, Praise the Lord, but it's an account of God's dealings with Moses and the children of Israel. Let me just point out to you, it says, He brought them out with silver and gold. There was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. He brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in dry places. He remembered his holy promise. Praise the Lord, he says. What is all of that about? Those people found God to be their sufficiency. So can we. Same way. Difficult times. So what? God is not in poverty, God is not weak. God is God. He owns it all. And as I use my good sense, God will do it again. Amen. He will do it again. Now, how many of you will raise a hand and say, Pastor, something you've said today touched me. Oh, keep it up there. That's encouraging. All right, put them down. Now, how many would say, Pastor, it's touched me enough that I'd like to ask God's help, and I will do something about it? See, that's the big question. Will you do something about it? Now, how about that? You mean it? Father, thank you for this crowd of folk. And thank you for their response. I really do believe them. 
I can see it in their faces. They want to do it right, Lord. We all want to do it right. We want your blessing. We can't live without your blessing. So, Father, you saw the hands, and I just ask you to touch them. Give them sound minds to think with. Take out the fear. Faith will supersede our fears. Lord, where it seems that we're so down deep that we can never get out, may they not see that anymore. We can say to the mountain that is in front of us, remove, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to us. With hard work and concentration and prayer and help, you will see us through. Touch our businessmen and women in these treacherous times. Touch those who work out at Campbell's. Don't let them be afraid. Let them know that if they do move, you've got something better, Lord. You're not bound to Campbell's soup. You're not bound to Aerojet. You're going to see them through. You're going to provide. You're going to make a way when there seems to be no way, like the choir sang. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We believe it, Lord. So touch the people today. Give them faith. In Jesus' name. If you really mean it, say amen. 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 Stand with me, please.